Welcome to this episode of the Producers Podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, please give us a hopefully good rating on iTunes or wherever you are listening that helps us show up for more people. We're about, I think, 20 episodes in now. I'm bad at math, so I don't know. But there's a lot of really good stuff. If you haven't listened to the other ones already, you can go back and wherever you like to listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, we have it basically everywhere we can possibly get it. There's lots of good episodes that are in the backlog now, some really great ones. If you're into freelance, this one's about freelancing and running a small media company. There's also some other, like, for example, with Ryan Haggerty about a similar topic, so you can go back and check those ones out. In this episode, we talk about working with clients, the importance of understanding data if you are in creative services for clients, and the importance of uh, keeping the services that you offer broad so that you're not reliant on one type of content for your business. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to the podcast, guys. We have Alan Ellis and Emily Good here on the podcast with us from Friendship Creative. Thanks for having us out. Yeah, thank you so much. We're excited to be here. My name is Emily Good. Alan Ellis. And we are Friendship Creative. So we are a Pittsburgh-based marketing and media production company. We're excited to be here and talk about what we do in the Pittsburgh film scene. Awesome, yeah. I mean, I think it's fun to see people like you that are, you guys have like the narrative intuition and you're applying that to your freelance. Would you consider it freelance even though you're a company technically? <laughs> it's always a transition, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know where that definition changes technically, but... It's a very blurred line for us. You're still like a gun for hire, but as a team. Yeah. yeah. It, it scales up. I think that it becomes much more obvious that it's a company effort when we're really starting to pull together a bigger team. Right. Right. So when we're writing a pitch for something that obviously involves more than just one or two hands, but we're obviously pulling in some resources and, you know, taking advantage of equipment rentals and making a bigger production, then it's more obviously a, a company production. So it's, it's nice that we can always offer that. Yeah. So the ideal mm -hmm. stuff for you to be working on is production that you're probably interested in, but you guys do all kinds of media stuff. You said you're sure the do. reason you called yourself Friendship Creative and not Friendship Productions. Can you explain that? Yes. We knew that starting a company, we didn't want to limit ourselves to a very niche market that we knew a lot of people were already in. So we wanted to be able to have a company name that was broad enough to expand to other markets. And we're really glad we did because we have now branched out to website design, to social media, um, digital marketing management services, things like that, that are kind of out of scope of video production. Sure. Well, are those things that you have the skills for, or you've just found people to work with that have the skills and brought them under your umbrella? A little bit of both. Yeah. We started, so we primarily have, I have a film background. I come from a narrative film background. I went to a film school in Toronto. That was kind of my you know, dream growing up. It's like, I uh -huh. work in the movies. Yeah. And Alan's a little different. I, I've, always had an interest in video production and I've tried to make that my focus throughout my freelance life, but I definitely had several stints throughout my, my, you know, my history where I was a web developer and a web programmer. It's hard to stay away from it because there's so much money there. It really is. So yeah. I find that it just keeps coming back in my life. And it, it's really interesting as we've been talking to clients and rattle through our list of services. It seems like every time I get down to websites, social media, that's when they're lighting up and they're saying, oh good, can you can you talk to me more about that? So it's it's a good thing that's in our background. And it's good that we're do able to offer. Do you find that yeah. frustrating when you have a client that you'd like to do a video for and they instead <laughs> want to spend their whole budget on a new website? We're, we're happy to help them out with whatever they need. <laughs> yeah, whatever the client wants, we can yeah. do. Obviously I have a lot of young filmmakers that I talk to that are like, how do I like make a living doing this like how am I able to mm -hmm. figure this out is that like you have so many auxiliary skills as a filmmaker that you're not paying attention to almost every filmmaker can manage a social media page better than a small business 
can. Almost every mm -hmm. filmmaker has photography skills. Almost every filmmaker has project management skills. Uh, a lot of filmmakers have some kind of web design or graphic design background. Mm -hmm. So like mixing all of those things makes it possible to make enough money <laughs> to get by and then also support a team of people too, like you seem to be growing into, which is really cool. Have there been like growing pains as you've transitioned into trying to build up a larger uh, company than just the two of you? Finding the right people. Yes, one of the goals when we started was to hire our friends. Um, and more specifically, friends who we liked working with who did good work. Yeah. Because there's a fine line in, you know, having friends and friends who do really good work who you can count on to, you know, manage a project, be independent, meet a deadline. Um, so it was a lot of just using our resources when we wanted to expand a team and saying, well, I have this friend who has this skill and they do it really well and I've worked with them before. Maybe they'd want to, you know, help us on this certain project. So it's a trial run and then it expands from there. I'm working with people that I met, you know, in old retail jobs. We're right. doing like web design for us. They used to work with at Apple. And she's in San Diego now, but she's now joined our team. Um, nice. We've got friends from all over who we mm -hmm. really wanted to, to bring on board and utilize their skills and to expand our company's total skills. Do you have them on as employees or as contractors? Not yet. Yeah. Is, it, is the yet, goal though. to eventually have employees or are you kind of trying to frame yourself uh, it, to have contractors it, the whole time? It, it could grow to that, but you really have to hit a pretty significant sure. critical mass before employees, you know, makes enough sense. You have to have a consistent stream of income or yeah. else. That's kind of why I was wondering what, yeah. With some sort of recurring revenue set up where it's, you know, so you've got a bunch of enough clients and retainer who you're doing enough maintenance for, right? That's when a, like a website employee would begin to make sense. Right. Uh, so we're not there yet. Yeah. It's a goal. It's, yeah. A lot of the creatives that we know enjoy working from home and enjoy having their own schedule and their own hours. And I certainly know that I was that way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's, Likewise. it's understandable. So you guys, did you started out mostly video production. Are you interested in, in filmmaking or is that just kind of like a fringe thing that... Filmmaking has always been a fun dream, but I've I've been focused in all of my work history is just more in commercial video production. And so that's where my work experience is. And that's where I have an understanding of how to pitch a project and how to see a project through. So that's where my focus is now. Right. Um, narrative filmmaking has always been a great vision and I support it and I've I don't have the, the history of, of, you know, seeing one come together, at least, you know, seeing the whole financial picture. Yeah, right? yeah. With, with the fundraising and the, the pitching. And, oh, man. So. <laughs> we come from two different worlds. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we can speak more to that, probably. But. Well, my goal always from age, you know, five or six was, you know, I want to be in movies. I want to make movies. And it's, I still call them movies. And anyone who calls them films, cool, good for you. That my childhood dream was always movies. Yeah. That's what I call it. Um, and I grew up just always wanting to, to be a part of that and it kind of put my trajectory based on that dream. So I, you know, love making well, movies, done, like, like a part a of it. bunch of different things in related to movies too. Oh yeah. I started in theater. Um, so when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an actor. And then I had an acting coach who gave me probably the best single piece of advice in the world, which was don't go to theater school, go to film school because then you are able to work in an industry that you love. You're not just limited to like waiting for a part or waiting for an audition waiting to be hired. You can make your own money. And that's what sent me to film school. That's the only reason I ever really went to film school. And then I found a love for editing and post-production. And you know, I love gadgets and tech things on my computer. And I love just, um, I guess the, the puzzle piece of it all. Like uh, there's a famous editing exercise they have you do in school where you cut the gun smoke episode together. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, it fell in love with I it. I did that too. Like, right? Everyone <laughs> yeah. does it. It's great. And there's that. so many joke edits online that are, they're beautiful. I highly recommend Googling. I actually have edits. never done that. I never realized that was like a thing they did at like every film school. Yeah. It's great. Oh, man. And I went to film school in Toronto and we did it. 
So even Canada's <laughs> doing it. It's great. I thought that was a quintessential American thing, but I guess we can't have it it's all. Abroad. Canada just no. has <laughs> all our good stuff and the better stuff too. <laughs> That's typical. Yeah, and more. I do miss Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Are you from Pittsburgh originally? Yeah, I'm from the South Hills originally. Oh, from okay. Lebanon. So that's how you're here. Are you from yeah. Pittsburgh? Born and raised, uh, yeah, out, just outside the city. Yeah. So I grew up outside the city in the North Hills and did a brief stint for five years in Orlando where I worked in production and worked full time and worked with a, as a producer for an agency down in Orlando and realized after five years in Orlando that it's just too dang hot down there. Uh -huh. I couldn't handle it anymore. So it was time to come home. And so that was a good move. So I've been back here in the city. What do you think about the way that the that Pittsburgh has changed in kind of the media landscape? Because it's like Pittsburgh is a booming place to be in marketing and media now and technology. It's really exciting to see. I, I Every time I look around, I'm just more and more excited when I just keep discovering new companies that are forming and just new solutions that they're solving. I certainly didn't see a culture like that in, in Florida. It just feels very collaborative here. I, I really enjoy that between the schools and the universities and the nonprofits, they're, they're very well established here in ways that most other cities don't have. There's a real legacy of support ingrained in all of the yeah. institutions here. And that's exciting to see because it really helps foster this, this fertile ground for a lot of new startups and makers who have ideas. And so I think that puts us in a good position to say, look, we understand that you're, you're trying to tell your story and you're trying to ex explain what it is that you offer and what's new about it. So that's, that's why I'm excited to be in the city and to help local businesses pursue those. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I love the, I mean, Pittsburgh has a history of innovation throughout. I mean, even when you look back at like our manufacturing history and stuff, like the reason that Pittsburgh was such a big steel city was because it invented new ways of whatever you call it, smelting steel. That's not what it is. There's another Something word. like that. Uh, <laughs> all the manufacturing people that watch this podcast. Yeah. Be, <laughs> they're calling it out. Yeah. Um, but it's cool to see it embrace I mean, I lived in Austin, Texas for a while and there was a bit of that and they, they have like the, what they call the Silicon Hills there, which is like where all, there's tons of money there, but it, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't have that. I think it's the foundations here that really like makes a difference. There's so much old money, honestly, yeah. that invests constantly in new things. And then you have all of these, like you said, all these companies that need to then, whether it's a nonprofit doing something new or it's a tech company that's trying to solve some problem. They have all these people that need to tell their stories and it makes it such fertile ground for people that have a narrative tilt to their video production, marketing in general. Mm -hmm. You kind of want to tell a whole story across the board, you know, uh, what is that called? Integrated campaign. Yes. Yeah. So got the buzzword <laughs> around that. Um, it's cool that that exists here and there's such like a, it is like a unique time to be involved in that, in this area. Do you guys get into like doing like cross uh, cross medium campaigns? Have you done anything like that? A little bit, yeah. Um, we just wrapped one up. We're, we awesome. yeah yeah we worked with a um, coffee shop, so we're still engaged with working with them. But that's been really fun. I, I think that when we first pitched them, we said, "Look, you guys need a video." Yeah. And when we really got into looking at it, we came to understand like they were able to talk to us about some of their you know their finances, and we were able to look at some of the data. And I realized there's 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 more to it than you just needing a video. So we were able to take a step backwards yeah. and look at what's really involved in getting the neighborhood to understand that you're here. They're a small town neighborhood coffee shop, locally owned, right? Better known. So better known. So they don't have the uh, the mind share of, of a bigger chain. Right? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's all about trying to help the neighborhood understand that they're in town, but then also the bigger city understand that there's this you know one location only that you can come to. 
So what that turned into for us was everything from a website development. We did a certain amount of rebranding with them. We are looking at redesigning the menu with them. We're working with a calligrapher to put that together. We local yes, calligrapher, nice. local, local calligrapher. We um, did photography for them. So the entire menu got photographed for them by us. We did social media campaigns with them. So we've taken over the social media feed. And so we're putting the photography out. So it's fun watching the way all of those kind of cross-pollinate, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the photography serves the website and it serves the social media campaigns, right? It all comes together. We still haven't done a video for them yet, you know? <laughs> so it's, that's in the works. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, I mean, and then the video also, that's the, the way that, how pervasive video is now. It applies to, again, the website, it applies to the social media, it applies to, I mean, I don't know if TV is still a thing down here, but up where I'm from, people still do TV. Yeah. Uh, so I'll do something that, is intended to be a 30 second like or even two let's say two minute spot for social media ads but we'll also cut it into a 30 second that they can use on tv mm -hmm. right. financial advisors do a ton of that because their target audience is right. old mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the demographics for lineup there. yeah yeah Check so that's that's and they have the money to do it there's just like there's a lot of have you worked with any rela uh, regulated industries where you've had to tiptoe around all of the like? Almost. Ah, yeah, we haven't gotten in the weeds with them yet though. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's coming. It's worth yeah. it because like most regulated industries, and this is like healthcare kind of, uh, depends what it is that you're doing for healthcare, obviously. Uh, financial, any kind of financial institution or financial advising is like super regulated. Drug companies, that kind of stuff are all, but if you notice, all of those things are also super lucrative. Mm -hmm. So it's right. like, okay, well, it's worth like going through the weeds of that. But Law firms. You know. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, there was one that I was mm -hmm. missing for sure. Because mm -hmm. they got to be careful what they say, because you can't promise something that is inaccurate. And then you have to, right. they probably they have like people you have to then send it to to make sure every, basically like if you're ever going to work with a company that's in a regulated industry, expect that it takes like two times as long to do any project if mm -hmm. or three times as long because there's just so many steps of like, okay, we have to send this off and see if it's okay. You get feedback and sometimes mm -hmm. that means you have to completely reshoot something because their compliance officer says, you know, oh, you can't. Although we said this a month ago when you showed us the script that this was okay. Now that we hear it, it's not okay anymore. Emily knows I, all about I this. I just finished a project that um, was supposed to take three weeks and ended up taking four months. Mm. Um, and it was in the healthcare field. And I had 50 to 55 people to give feedback Stakeholders. and help us. Yes. And help us craft it. And it was more than I've ever had. Um, I think we're used to maybe, you know, two, three clients, yeah. but having 50 to 55 was daunting. Was that like one of the healthcare networks that you were? Um, it was a, an educational piece. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, but it just overlapped. It, the number of stakeholders in this were like all of the different healthcare institutions plus educational institutions overlapping plus yes, right. The, you know, stakeholders at every level in each of those. Mm -hmm. It's this long email <laughs> list that went out. So yes. yeah, we we learned to juggle with that. Yeah, One regulation, couple of reshoots. Would you have any advice for anyone that like has landed a project like that and now is looking down the barrel of like, oh crap? Yes, pre-production. I'll say it one more time. Pre-production. Do as much as you can in pre-production because you will spend more time and more resources in post if you don't. Yeah. So you really need to just get out in front of it, have a script as close as you can. Yeah. Any script is better than no script. And is it right that you wanna get like sign off from those people on the script so that they're kind yes. of on board from the beginning so you don't blindside them with anything 
that's kind of the big thing that I've noticed with that kind of stuff. Mm, absolutely. And like you said before, it's really tough because um, especially in healthcare, things change so quickly. Yeah. We were working with policy as it was being updated. Oh, yeah. So it was really challenging <laughs> to like send something in like, oh, that's not how we do it anymore. And a couple of weeks ago we did. So yeah, it yeah. was... It was really, it was a challenge and it was really great and it was very rewarding. And at the end, we, we had a really great product. So we were excited to present it. They were excited to receive it. They're so really happy with it. Yeah, it was yeah, a good, good project. Awesome. It was really good. Yeah, that stuff is, it's good to get it done because then you feel good about like, yes. okay. Like, <laughs> I took a four day vacation afterwards. Nice. <laughs> so what is, so far on the things that you've worked on, what's one of your projects that you would consider like one of your biggest successes? Probably the that coffee shop. I, I enjoy, yeah, the, the breadth that was involved there. I yeah. think that that was you fun like because you... it, it challenged us to look at all the different angles and all of our experience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just keep asking ourselves, what else can we bring to the table or what should we be offering that maybe we hadn't thought about before? So I think that conceptual phase of bringing the ideas together was the most important part. I mean, even things like that are maybe out of traditional scope, but things like, look, we should we should have certain events here that aren't happening yet. So we should be proactive and make phone calls to people who might come do these events. An example would be like a game night, right? So yeah. finding somebody who would host, host an event like night. that mm -hmm. and making the phone call and making those happen. Is that in the scope of a marketing filmmaking company? <laughs> right. But I don't brings... know, but I, I find that I kind of question my, like when I say I'm a marketing specialist and then I'm like, but sometimes I do business development too, because I get in there with a small, especially with small businesses. Cause a lot of times they just haven't thought of a lot of mm -hmm. this stuff. And it's like, as a working in media or marketing, you touch so many different business models that you kind of get to see what's working and what's not working mm -hmm. in other companies. And they've been like tunnel vision in their own company mm -hmm. for so long that sometimes you can just bring in an idea and say like, well, have you thought of this? Mm -hmm. And they're like, that's a great idea. I should be doing that. <laughs> Sometimes uh, it's the simple things. Yeah, in events, I mean, that's like huge for uh, physical spaces, like bringing people into mm -hmm. the space, getting yes. them comfortable, even if they're not spending money when the first time they come, there's something, and, and there's like a psychological thing, term for it, but like people get, as they come more often, so if they've come more than one, once or twice, they're more likely to, if they're like, oh, I need a coffee and I'm driving by, to stop in because they feel comfortable there. Where if they hadn't been to those things, and let's say they went to those things and didn't buy anything. If they hadn't been to those things and they might drive by and say, there's a resistance because it's like, it's unfamiliar, right? Like, I don't know. And also that's where kind of that community marketing comes in too, because it's like, oh, I've heard of these guys and I know that like, mm -hmm. maybe I've seen a face that I can associate with it or like a feeling that I can associate with it that makes me feel good about it. That's makes them, and all of those things combined, it's nice to be able to do all of that stuff for one client. It's really awesome that yeah. I hope you guys get to do more of that. <laughs> We're trying. We sure learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Was there anything like actionable that like people that are working with freelance clients could take away from that that you've learned? Communication is always a big one. And I, I know that sounds kind of like a no brainer, but at least for us, that was a big thing of being in constant contact yeah. with our clients and having a lot of frequent meetings, frequent phone calls, and just kind of playing with ideas and researching. I don't have a strong marketing background, a little bit in the narrative film and storytelling and emotional impact, a little bit of that. But the day-to-day -day, like marketing, like B2B, B2C marketing, I those were new words that I had to learn and <laughs> yeah. research and, and go through. So um, for me, I think it came down to just researching and if I didn't you know, know the market, I was gonna learn about the market and then I would know it and made me feel a lot more confident when presenting new ideas to clients and saying, you know, like I didn't know in 2017, they did a study, 50% of the coffee market is like 18 to 25 year olds. Hmm. 
I had no yeah. idea there was a thing, right? <laughs> so just taking advantage of resources and if you don't know the market, find out. Yeah, I, I think I enjoyed our, our collaborative brainstorming phase on this project. I think that we had a really good success because we sat down with the owner and we got a lot of ideas from him. And then we took that and we asked our network for a lot of ideas. And then we decided to do market research. So we took a few days in the coffee shop and talked to the patrons who were there and offered them a coupon for a free cup of coffee if they give us oh, that's nice. four or five minutes of their time. An iPad and a Google survey and, and old school. <laughs> and just research. made eye contact and smiled and, and got to understand where they were from. That process was really, really helpful because we ended up with this just overwhelmingly long nine page Google Doc of all the ideas of what would help them out. And then we really put our thinking caps on, refined it down, and that turned into the proposal that they ended up signing. Yeah, is that, so my question with that is, does that seem like a sustainable thing for you to do uh, with other businesses of similar sizes or? I think so, I think we are getting better at it. Yeah. I think is a, a good way to phrase it, um, that we're trying to really streamline that process, um, especially with data and analytics. Um, we're kind of figuring out what data we need to look at and how to interpret it in order to use that to create, you know, a better ROI, basically. Yeah. Were you able to like look at their like historical sales data and stuff? Mm -hmm. Like I've been doing that for like small restaurants, especially like I'll look at what marketing they've done in the past, map it out on like basically just a really like convoluted spreadsheet. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'll look at like there's like, let's say we'll use Square or whatever. We'll export their data on a week to week basis because that kind of shows you a little bit more than what a month to month would. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if we can get week to week, year over year, because then you can see if something was an anomaly or not. And if it was an anomaly, then was there a cause of that anomaly? Was it a specific piece of marketing they did? And also, are they dumping a ton of money into a specific marketing thing that is not showing them any kinds of returns, which happens. Like, I mean, I was working with a restaurant client and they're relatively new. They weren't even a year old, so we didn't have year over year data yet. Yeah. But like they were dumping money into radio, but not enough to really do any. Like radio works if you can put enough money into it. TV mm -hmm. works if you can put enough money into it. Like traditional media, you really have to be in, you have to invest a lot into right. it to, to get out of it anything that's worthwhile. Feed the beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but when you're only investing $200, $300 a month in two different radio stations, you're spreading that budget out. It's like, and, and I mean, we showed it in their data, like you, that is a total waste of money for you right now. But we saw when you are posting on Facebook, the weeks that you posted more times on Facebook, doesn't matter what it was. I tried to find if there was like a specific mm -hmm. type yeah. of post that was working better or not. It didn't matter. Even if it was just a text post, just posting more often on Facebook. So six yep. to eight times a week instead of like two to four times a week, the numbers significantly showed a difference because it was top of mind. And usually it showed a difference the next week actually, because it was kind of the thought trigger that, and then the next week was when people were taking action on it. But that was a really interesting find. So then she upped everything to doing like eight posts a week or more. And she does all of it in house, which is great. Cause I think that's the best stuff a business can do is mm -hmm. like their yeah. own. It's more honest. If it, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. It's very like organic and like not in just like the, like organic, you know, <laughs> right. no, I did air quotes. For the yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the data analytics because I think that's really important. And I think that that's really easy for, for folks to overlook, especially as creatives. Cause it's like, we're not thinking about that. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. I have this cool story with this cool shot. What do you mean? It won't make a good commercial. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to actually looking at the data, that, that really is where your answers are. At the end of the day, we had to keep remembering that all our client actually cares about it's bringing more people in the door and getting more money in. And yeah. ultimately is, you know, yes, we're storytellers, but at the end of the day, our clients are hiring us so that they can show a difference and show that, that more people are responding, right? Yeah. So data really can be this, this great secret way 
to drive all of that and more and more and more. Well, that's and what they're asking you're for. You're speaking their language too. Then when you can show like mm -hmm. they have so I, when I was doing radio sales, I did radio sales for a while. Well, I was doing digital marketing sales for a radio station, but I also sold radio, but I would go in and I would find out that these business owners are being pitched to by like 30 different sales reps a week. And in the city, it's probably even more. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's on the phone, that's also in person. So there's like every radio station in the area is pitching to them, every TV station in the area is pitching to them, every newspaper or online publication is pitching to them, every digital marketing agency, everybody with a video camera, like they have all these people coming in and saying like, this is the thing that you need to do. And they've thrown money at this thing and it didn't work and they've thrown money at this thing and it didn't work and they've thrown mm -hmm. money at this thing mm -hmm. and that worked a little bit. So now they're throwing a bunch more there, but they're right. not seeing the like growth and the returns that they were expecting. So when you're able to, speak to them in a concrete way that's not just this like fluff of like i think this is a good idea because this is what i do then and you're also willing to like take stuff off the table that maybe was your passion thing to begin mm -hmm. with the video thing was yep. where you wanted to go in with but <laughs> that's happened yet yeah but that wasn't the best thing for them at the moment that's huge when when we were looking at the data that it was great because we also broke it out week by week and so we looked at different days of the week when we looked at just all everything it was just noise sure and it was yeah. like what are we looking at and it was, <laughs> it was really fun to peel back the layers because we looked and we saw that if you just look at fridays every other friday there was this huge spike and we're like what is that so then we went back and looked at their calendar and brought all of that in and then all these little points appeared on all of those spikes it was trivia night Ah, yeah. Every other Friday. And then you were like, you need to do more events. Now you Trivia should be every week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. That's, mm -hmm. And that seems like, oh, obviously, but when they don't see the numbers, they might think like, ah, is this really working? Or But when you can actually show it directly, that's huge. I think that people are, especially creatives, are afraid to look at the data or to use the data when they're talking to clients because they're afraid that they're going to prove, like disprove the thing that they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to not be afraid of that because... And I guess it makes it easier when you're like us that can do like a bunch of different types of services. Mm, like if fair. you're just a video creator and that's all you do, then you might have some trouble like using data to back up something because it, it might disprove that video is really the right thing for them to be doing at this moment. But you have to be in an industry where you believe that that <laughs> is valuable to, because really like video is, is valuable right now. Like you just have to look for the right companies that are in the right place of their growth. That is the thing they need to be investing in. And then just go all, all out on those. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we have gone to trivia nights and filmed little social media videos yeah. of those. Right? <laughs> there so, you go. To push that. Yeah. That's been the extent of it. We for sure fell into that trap of, you know, there's a local coffee shop. They need some help. Let's make a video. And we started to kind of work on a video. And then we went, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get the data first, see what the data supports, and then build off of there. In, we still haven't done a video because that's yeah. what the data supported and that was what was best for our client. I think that you guys are setting yourselves up to be really successful if that's the mindset you're taking to things. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. I know that businesses will, and bigger businesses too, will respond to stuff like that much more. Because a lot of times they just, like I said, they're just, they don't know what they're looking at because <laughs> they're not marketers. It's not what they do. Mm -hmm. So if you can position yourself as almost a marketing agency, right? Like agency is such a dirty word in the, for <laughs> a lot of people, yeah. but it, there is a reason that those are so successful because they kind of can, they're not trying to solve, sell you one specific service. They're trying to sell you advertising or marketing in general. And then they're going to find out what the specific thing is that is right for you 
because they have a million departments. They, mm -hmm. the model I think is a little broken just because it is old and geared towards bigger like mass the corporations. Corporations, yeah. So now as people become more like gig economy, right, and like smaller businesses are kind of having a little bit of a comeback, or at least they're trying to. They're like scrapping back a little bit and like catching up to this marketing stuff and realizing they have to compete on this level. There's a lot more opportunity for people that can kind of bridge that gap between like people that can talk to a small business and not rip them off <laughs> and the agencies that are too big. The, the overhead's just absurd on an agency. Like I've, I've worked in an agency before. It's crazy yeah. Yeah. like the overhead that gets involved there because there's just so many middlemen. So we're, we're trying to bring that down, but just a smaller level. Yeah. You know, yes. yeah kind of that overhead. The, the idea there is solid. It's a, Exactly. It, it's just yeah. it's just because a lot of the agencies are so old. There's a lot of new agencies, right, that are, are kind of taking that scrappy or like lean business model, right? There's and so the word yeah. is not maybe being taken back now by some <laughs> of the, the younger companies that are solving those problems or older companies that are scaling back their overhead. Like they've learned that like, oh, we don't right. need eight project managers on a project. Yeah. Uh, That's really the key of it is to take, I mean, all those foundations are sound. I mean, the, yeah. the function of an agency is very valid and we very much still need it. And it's just a matter of using technology and being smart, taking advantage of the, of the gig economy yeah. and, and scaling back the things that don't need to be focused on as much and focusing on what matters. And that's, that's where we get the value. Okay, so the coffee shop thing was what you would consider your biggest success so far, the thing you've enjoyed working on a lot so far. Is there something that you would consider a failure that you've learned from in the time that you've been doing? I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily since Friendship Creative, but mm -hmm. is there anything that was kind of like stands out of you like, I really messed that up and I learned a lot from it? Failure is an interesting word to me because it always sounds so final. final. Yeah. yeah, and I, I tend to think of it more as like mistakes. Sure. Or like trips or slips because one thing that was really important to us is like, obviously we're going to make mistakes. We're human. We're new business owners. So anytime something happens that might be, say, a mistake um, or a less finite failure, <laughs> um, we tend to turn it into more of an opportunity for growth and for learning. Yeah. So any mistake that was made, we made a couple. Um, there was one when we first started, we made a gear purchase mm. that it was so pretty and shiny and we were <laughs> sure going to use it. And it has not been used. What is it? I... It's a shoulder rig. Okay, yeah. Um, and it has not been used nearly as much yeah. as it should have been. We, we reached the tripods it's... and the monopods. Yep. Like, yeah. We need a steady shot. Yep. Yeah, I bought a stabilizer, for a DJI stabilizer for my phone, which I used for two music videos, which paid for it. Right. There you go. So that's the thing, but I haven't used it since. <laughs> And it was like, it's so cool. It has like face tracking where like if someone's walking around, it'll like follow them. Yeah. I literally have not used that feature once <laughs> except to impress like rappers that think it's really cool. But yeah. I didn't even use it in their music video. I, they just thought it was cool. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, I think a lot of people fall into that trap because it's an easy one. Yeah. Worked in technology or something. It's so easy to get like, oh. Right? It's so pretty. It's so shiny. It's new. It's the latest model. Do you find that like it's better to rent stuff or purchase it equipment wise? Or is it a... It depends on what the thing is. It, it really is. Mm -hmm. Until you know that it's something that you need, renting just makes so much more sense. Yeah. It's so easy to forget about the, the total cost of ownership. Whatever it is in your Amazon shopping cart is not really how much it costs you. Because every time you ever have to move that, that's a cost to you. Every time there's any kind of maintenance from you, that's that's on you. Yeah. So And, and disposal, right? Just having gear and having a warehouse of stuff. The it's, storage it's, of it is like, that's a, my thing is like, I don't it's have... a weight around your ankle. Yeah. It really can be. So Absolutely. especially if it's not something that you're reaching for all the time. And, and the other thing then is you're locked into that year and that generation, that model. 
if you're renting all the time, then you get to take advantage of always the newest things coming out, find out which things you like and don't like. You get a lot more exposure to what the market is offering. Yeah. So there's... Especially I mean, when you're doing like commercial work where you can build that into a budget. Mm -hmm. I found that like pitches that I've done or like proposals that I've done that include rentals seem to be received better than when I try to put a value on the equipment that I own. Which usually I it's fair. just value it at what it would rent for anyway. That's mm -hmm. what I've started doing is like I'll right. like I might have a specific tripod. We do the same thing. Oh, on, all, yeah. on all of our pitches we just write look at here's a camera rental line item, here's audio line item. Right. Whether yeah. or not we own it doesn't really matter to them at that point. Right. That's the cost to bring it out. That's one of those things that I think I didn't understand when I first started doing video work that it's just one of those, it seems like such a small thing, but all of those small things add up as you're like learning how to like work with clients and how to do proposals and stuff over time. Like when you first get out of college and you're first doing stuff, it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> they, they honestly need a lot more classes and how to write pitches and how to help I run know. businesses. And I, even had, I went to a, a, a business school for filmmaking. It was I had a specialized business cool. and movie making degree. That's and fun. We had some of that, but it still wasn't even wasn't like enough. The, we had stuff of like how to do like video production for a client, promotional videos, basically what they called it. But there even wasn't, and it was like, how do you find them? But there was nothing about how do you actually land the gig if they say, if they're not immediately like, yeah, totally. Like whatever budget you just pitched me, like, sure. Which is totally not how it works. Like right. they want to see what they're actually paying for to a degree. Like you don't want to get too nitty gritty with it, which is again, something <laughs> you learn. Like they don't mm -hmm. care about every single, like, they don't want you to put your Zoom on there and your micro or micro SD card and your like headphones. And, you know, they just the want to see audio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just want to see audio and it's like, or even just like equipment. I wonder if part of it's just like a cop out. Like it's, it's nice and sexy to think that we're learning how to use all this fun gear and learn how it works and, and feel like it's some highly technical skill. At the end of the day though, like these business skills that are so critical are also really at their core soft skills. And it's yeah. not something that's as simple as, you know, learn a procedure and fill out those answers on a test and be graded that you're correct on it. But it's really a matter of, can you make someone like you yeah. and trust you? <laughs> yeah, and that's what Ryan, Ryan was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he, he's, I mean, he's done very well for him as a freelance uh, media producer. Like he's to the point where now where he's mostly a project manager, where he's hiring out for his crews and stuff. He talked about the number one piece of basically advice that he had for people that were starting out or that were trying to grow their freelance business was to learn how to build client relationships more. Like if someone messages you and says like, I want to do this, how much it will cost? He like almost never will just give them a cost. He always is like, let's sit down over coffee or let's like, let's get on the phone yes. and talk this out. A, because you identify whether or not that thing that they think they need is really the thing that they need. Correct. But also you start to build, as soon as you get that uh, voice to voice interaction, you start to build a relationship with them. So mm -hmm. whether they might not even hire you for, I mean, I've had it happen where someone has not hired me for the first project that I pitched to them or even whatever they asked me for a proposal for, but they've come back to me for an even bigger project down the road because they liked me so mm -hmm. much. Right. That's huge. I mean, I guess like that just sucks if you're a dick <laughs> and like <laughs> nobody likes you, then like you probably should work on that first. But. Yeah, that's a good skill to have. And that's something that we, really try to bring with our clients. We um, recently had a, a pitch meeting and we had pitched for a nonprofit and there were a bunch of different pitches and she called us back and she said, you know, the prices were pretty like comparable. Said I called you guys because I wanted to work with Emily and Alan. Nice. 
And it was great. And then we had, you know, an hour, hour and a half long meeting about her website and all the cool stuff we were going to do. And then halfway through, we we're talking about brownies that just came out of the oven. <laughs> and, you know, who likes a corner piece and who likes a centerpiece? I mean, if you game, it's a corner piece, definitely, right? right? <laughs> Always. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, easy Always. answer there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't trust people that like the center. <laughs> <laughs> it's goofier. Mm. We'll talk about it later. It's another podcast. Okay. <laughs> We'll see you on the brownie podcast after this. That one's coming out. Yes. We will absolutely compare all the different box brownie mix. And <laughs> I feel like that is niche enough that like there would be people out there that would listen to that. Oh, yeah. If you were like entertaining as host. Well, thank you guys for coming on. We're out of time here. Is there anything that you would like to leave people with that are specifically creators that are trying to balance their creative endeavors and trying to manage it as a business. That's kind of the interesting thing that I think I'd like to hear from you guys, what your thoughts are on that. Give you both a chance to. I think it's different for every person. So I would say that just because you've seen other people be successful in a path, doesn't mean you should necessarily take it. I know my path was definitely different than I ever thought it would be. But I think to just kind of trust your gut, do what you gotta do at the time. One thing that really helped me coming from a narrative background was to really force myself to think about it business first. So now, instead of just spending all my money on shiny new gear, I am the penny pincher of the company. And I'm like, do we really need to spend that $5 a month? Like, that's a lot. We should look and see if we can get it for $350. Like, yeah. right? <laughs> Things like that. We balance to, each other. <laughs> yeah. To know, first and foremost, that it's a business. And to just trust that if you're already a creative person, that creativity is going to come no matter what. It's cliche a bit, but just keeping your mind open to lots of opportunities that are out there. I think that being present, being, volunteering has actually been one of the things that's brought us some of the more interesting work and it's just a way of getting out into the world. So there's certain events that I've been interested to going to that I've just called ahead and said like, hey, can I bring audio equipment? Can I bring video equipment? You know? Oh yeah, nice. And that's been yeah. a really helpful way actually for me in the past to just break in, especially when I first moved to a city. Yeah. It's somewhere that I'm already planning to go and you get people who are very receptive at that point and just happy to have you. And yeah, so it's a yeah. really awesome platform to be able to spread out and show that you can do great work and bring a bunch of business cards. Just like, it don't be a, a dick. And We're trying our best. <laughs> and and think about best. it from a business perspective. Thank you guys for coming on. Yes. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us, Craig. If people want to find you on the internet, how can they do that? Friendshipcreative.com, at Friendship Creative. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, website. They should do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say that we are lucky enough to be co-producing a feature film called The Clearing. It is oh, a, sweet. I've heard about that. Yeah, it is a cunning <laughs> folk films production. Stephanie Trainer is directing, Carl Nyquist editing. They wrote it together. They are cunning folk films, and we are very fortunate to pair with them. We are shooting very, very soon, so please check out all of our social media at The Clearing Film, The Clearing Film on Facebook for some really cool, exciting updates and behind-the-scenes stuff. You guys have already started doing some cool stuff with social media for that, so yeah, definitely check that out. Mm -hmm. Check out Friendship Creative. Check out The Clearing. Thank you guys for coming on. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Producers Podcast. We'll be back next week again with another episode. Remember, if you like these episodes, make sure to give us a rating wherever you are listening. And it would be really helpful if you would share the episodes as well. If you're listening the whole way to the end, you must have enjoyed it at least a little bit. So if you can 
share it on your Facebook, on your Twitter, whatever. Uh, that would be really helpful. And if you're on Instagram, I make these kind of like, I kind of pick a little segment that's my favorite and make graphic with the audio and the text and everything on it. Uh, people seem to really like that. So you can go over there to Craig and Zana on Instagram and find those and share that in your story or something and let us know that you're listening. Thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.